turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The following program is pre-recorded. Opinions expressed may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. This is Life in Colorado. I'm Mark Howington. With me, it's Chris Songson. And Chris, you are the pastor of South Hills Church in Southern California, also the author of a book I have in my hands, and Hopefully, maybe by the time we're done, some listeners will go, yeah, I need that book in my hands. It's called Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love. And we also want to talk as we get toward the the end of the program about your organization called Church Boom. I love that name. So, Chris, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, man. It's an honor to be on the show today. Chris, in your book, you make this—it's really a haunting statement— if your church were to cease to exist, would your community even notice? I don't know if I got the wording exact, but that's the idea. I find that a haunting yeah. statement. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it, uh, it came to me. Uh, well, it came to me, but it's kind of an old statement. Like, I've, I've always heard that over the last kind of 15 years. People will say that at a conference. You know, if your book church was to disappear, would anybody notice? Uh, but about five, six years ago, seven years ago, something like that, um, I heard it again, and I felt like God was just like, okay, before you just run right over that statement and ignore it like I have in the past, because it's kind of a you know a, an antiquated statement, um, I, I stopped and thought about it, and I thought, you know, we've got a bunch of campuses. I'm a multi-site pastor. We've got 12 campuses, about to launch our 13th campus, and it's interesting because I, I sat there and I thought, you know, I think if our church was to turn in to a Walgreens tomorrow, all of our campuses, I don't think anybody's going to care. Uh, like, we're, we're not, not going to leave any gap in the city outside of the people we think we are, spiritually, and we probably are, and we, we, we are to the people that go there, but it's not like any, anybody else in the city is going to care. Uh, we're not going to be leaving any gap, and I was really challenged by that, and that's what kind of birthed the movement that I talk about in the, in the book called Love Where You Live. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Love where you live. How did that get started? Uh, you tell the story in the book, but I'm sure you've got lots of other stories as well. But what is love where you live? How did it get started, and what are you doing with it? Yeah, it's a it's it started well. You know, again, six seven years ago, um, kind of rethinking that through of hey, you know, if the church was to be gone today, that whole thing. About the same time, one of our campus pastors and his wife began to talk about, uh, in their, the Burbank Hollywood area, they began to talk about, well, you know, we would like to start doing some things for the community that are different than just feeding the homeless or it seems like it's a Christian thing to do, feed the homeless and give out backpacks. I don't know what it is in churches, <laughs> but we kind of, we kind of go down that rail and, and but I, we began to think like, what would it mean to really serve the community? I mean, to really serve the community. And so we started looking into it to love where you live. We started meeting with the mayor, meeting with superintendents of schools, principals, city officials, and just said, how can we serve you? 
just like, what can we do? What's, where's some gaps that we can help fill in? Um, and so the result was uh, we ended up, uh, and I'm just going to give you quick little examples. Yeah, feed the homeless. Yeah, the backpack thing. And, and I kind of make light of that. It's kind of a funny thing among pastors because we all kind of do that. But we started looking into like, okay, uh, teacher's lounge is a mess at the school down the street. <clears throat> um, what if we repainted it? redid the flooring, put a new couch in there, a couple new pieces of furniture, put a plasma screen up so they could watch TV and fill up and buy a refrigerator, which was theirs was broken, and fill it up with drinks that they liked. And so we did that. Terrific ideas. And one of the things that we will talk about a little later on is you actually, in this book that's called Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love, you, you actually have a chapter that talks about all kinds of small things you can do. In fact, one of your chapters just is called Start Small, and I, and I love yeah. that because, yeah, you're, one of your quotes says, I'm not asking you to start a million-dollar corporation, nonprofit, and, and then dive in. You're saying start where you are. That's why this movement's called Love Where You Live. And yeah. I, I love that thought because, yes, you can find these small things Oh, talk about the impact this this has had on the people of your church. Uh, it's been incredible. Small group leaders are doing it. Small groups are doing it. Uh, even and, and and we've had a lot of other churches that have started to do it across the nation. They're finding the same thing. It, it's been an impact. They've they've begun to love their community. They've begun to see themselves as ambassadors of Jesus to the community. Um, it's it's spurred on levels of generosity in their heart. Um, it has, I think, caused them to create a greater unity among themselves uh, and have a greater heart for people that are not only far from God, but just serve the community on behalf of Jesus. Uh, so the, the, the wins have been multiple. And it, it, it's awesome because um, anybody can do it at the church. Everybody can do it. Small groups can do it. Individuals can get involved. It's, it's not too hard to put together. Um, and the wins for the individuals, and as a pastor, the wins for the church are just tremendous. One of the quotes that you have in your book, love where you live, starts with our spiritual family and the people who live under our roofs, and we look for ways to encourage and support each other. We're not reactive when people disagree, and when there are offenses, we resolve them by talking forgiveness and healing, and then you go on to say, but people do have rough edges. And and then I love, the, again, another simple list, and you have several of them in the book, where you talk about just simple ways that you can get involved. And it's not always it's not always easy, and it's not always clean. For example, you say someone may need a smile and a greeting, but they may also need someone to take care of their kids when they're going to see a lawyer because their marriage is dissolving. Someone might need a meal because a family member's in the hospital, a babysitter because they haven't had a date in six months, a referral to a financial counselor because they're drowning in debt, or a shoulder to cry on because their teenager is pregnant or is doing drugs and and has run away. Not all problems are dramatic, thank God, but we will never know how to love well until we listen, take the time to get beneath the surface, and give love more than lip service. Talk about how that's been worked out in the members of your church. Well, you know, organizationally, love where you live. You know, it's hey, there's four Saturdays a year, four weeks a year, and we all and it's kind of organized. Everybody signs up and all that. 
uh, and it's great. It's awesome. Small groups get involved in everything, but individually, as you were just mentioning, uh, individually, that's where it's breathed, has breathed over. Uh, we have been incredibly surprised and the stories that we hear <clears throat> because it's done organizationally, it becomes part of who they are culturally. Uh, so they are now individually, hey, I took care of the meal of the person behind me at the drive-thru, or um, I, I found out someone at work, you know, is a single mom, and they were talking about their lawn that was kind of growing over. And so my husband just went, we went over there on one Saturday, and my husband mowed their lawn for them, or just things like that. So it's, yeah, organizationally, it's been amazing. There's an organ, the chapter towards the end talks about how to make that happen in your church, how you can do that in your small groups. But what that's happened is it's changed the people culturally so that it just has become part of who they are in their daily life. And they're doing it. They're doing it aside from the organization of the church. They're doing it aside from the love where you live, signups or anything like that. They're just doing it uh, in their own life. And the results are amazing. Yeah, there's a I think it's a rather humorous story in the book where. This couple saw a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. They didn't seem to have a lot of direction, so they started some some lawn games and activities for the kids in their neighborhood. And then one time they, they drive up to the church with a van full of kids, and the pastor said, where'd all these kids come from? And, and the couple said, well, they came from the Wednesday night kids program. And the pastor said, what Wednesday night kids program? So right. I... I think it's awesome that, that they took the initiative to get started on their own. Let's talk about some nuts and bolts, because one of the things that this program has, Life in Colorado, as its purpose, is to help people get involved in their community, provide, for example, community service. So talk about the nuts and bolts. You, you've mentioned already, for example, four times a year, people of your church put to, put on their work clothes and then go to maybe a project. You mentioned going to the school and painting the teacher's lounge, for example. So talk about the nuts and bolts. How do you get something like this off the ground? Uh, from a church standpoint, uh, like as a, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Just from, oh, yeah, okay. From the overall church standpoint, it's pretty, you know, uh, a matter of fact, I was just in, uh, I live in California. I'm here, I just got back last night, but I was in uh, New Mexico and in Virginia the last few days doing some speaking, coaching, et cetera. And one of the pastors asked me that same question. Like, how do I get this thing off the ground? I don't have a big church. What do I do? And I said, well, you don't need to take on everything under the sun. You don't need to make it some big event. What if you just did a serve Saturday? Uh, and instead of it being a week long, which many of our campuses have week long events, uh, what if you just did a serve Saturday and, and, you know, set it out for about two or three months from now, um, do it, do a serve Saturday, find two or three projects that your church could get involved with. Maybe it's uh, helping out at the park and rec, cleaning up some uh, parks or whatever, a park. Maybe it's a teacher's lounge. Maybe it's one of the many, many ideas that I listed in the, in the book. Um, and, you know, set it out two or three months in advance. Get people to sign up for it. Show up at Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, pray together, and then go do, go do the event. You know, uh, the one thing I will say, and you didn't ask, but I'll say it inside of there, if anybody's listening and they're going to do it at the church, and they're going to try a Surf Saturday. Hey, we're going to do two events because the two events could turn into three months later, let's do another Surf Saturday. It becomes four events. And then four or five months later, do another Surf Saturday. It becomes ten events. And we've gotten to a point where some of our campuses are doing all week long. But the thing I was going to say was um, is don't make a commitment that you don't follow through on. 
Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very surprised when we go into different schools and I hear about different churches where the, the principals actually might be a little resistant to the church helping and they can't figure out why. Well, what they don't understand is in the past eight years, maybe they were burned by the church or another organization who promised to clean something or do something or help out somewhere or whatever, whatever they were going to be doing. And they didn't follow through. Um, and it ended up kind of tainting it for the next person. Uh, so the one thing I always tell everybody is like, if you're, if you're going to do it and you say you're going to clean or do it, just do it and be consistent. But uh, it's so important. But start off with a Saturday. Just start off with one Saturday. Try a couple projects. If it works, do it again a few months later. And, and after a while, you'll, one thing I always say is let it be organic until it be, becomes organized. So just try to serve Saturday and see what happens. I, I love that idea. And one of the things you talk about in your book is the result of what happens. Another quote you say, as churches have these love-where-you-live Saturdays or whatever day they're held, a couple of things invariably happen. Those in the church get excited to work together to touch the lives of people. The number of organizations that want the church's help get so long that some have to be put on a waiting list. And leaders of nonprofits, school administrators, government officials want to get on on all of this love. It doesn't take long to develop a reputation as a church that moves beyond its walls to care for people in the community. And perhaps maybe that's the flip side, Chris, of what you're talking about. Yeah, be sure if you plan these, follow through. But it seems like the result is that it does have a very positive impact on the community, but also on your church. Talk about how that has helped your church. You you mentioned that stirring, haunting question, if your church were to cease to exist, would your community even notice? And that's part of what got this started for your community. Talk, talk about how that's really perhaps made your church, as the title of the book says, indispensable. Mm. Well, you know, it's, uh, uh, one, you mentioned the word unity and alignment. There's I don't know what it is, but there's nothing like a worship team on a church getting together on a Saturday morning and going and serve. Not just, it's not about the Sunday, not about the worship, not about hanging out in the green room after, you know, during church or whatever. Worship leaders, worship teams always have the funny reputation, but it's about what if they went out and served and the unity and the alignment. Man, when you're shoulder to shoulder with someone serving the community, making a difference in the, in the, where you actually live, um, it's amazing what will happen with the people. So you have the impact that happens, as we talked about. You got the impact, and, and you're starting to create a gap. You're starting to you're starting to fill in the gap so, uh, in the community where people would actually notice if you were gone. Uh, and that's awesome. And that you want that. You want the community feeling that. But then again, the byproduct of that is. Um, you get, like I said, a worship team. Or what if the children's volunteers got together and just said, you know what, we're not meeting this morning about children's stuff. We're meeting to go paint a teacher's lounge or we're meeting to go do whatever uh, at a school, replant some of the, the, the garden stuff or, or I mean, the flowers and the, and the planters at a school, whatever. Uh, but um, the unity and the alignment that comes from that, the uh, the working relationship with people in your church, the sense of putting, uh, doing something and serving together. Um, I think that's been, I think that's been an amazing byproduct. Uh, and again, it's the multiple wins around the, uh, down the road, but that's, that's what's been really, uh, I, it's my opinion, it's been really amazing. And, uh, and I'm watching them do that too in departments. There's a church I'm working with in Arizona right now. Their departments, a smaller church, but their departments are doing it. Worship, children's, youth, small groups, their departments are starting to do it. And, 
yeah, the, the community is being served, which is amazing, but the unity that people are having with each other as they're kind of sweating, you know, together on a Saturday and working together, it, it's, it's tremendous. It really, it really, really is tremendous. Talking with Chris Songson, he's the author of the book, Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love. Chris, it's interesting that you bring up the topic of unity because certainly if you turn on the news and watch what's going on in our world, unity doesn't seem to be what's happening. But you address that. You've got a chapter called My Neighbor, and this is a quote from from here. Does the courage to address racism, social status, politics have anything to do with Christians and the church? You bet it does. Far too often we're swept up in this us-against-them perspective. Anger drives us apart so that we don't even listen to opposing views, and we spend time only with people who already agree with us. And that's not the lesson of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus calls Republicans to love Democrats, and Democrats to love Republicans, blacks and whites and browns to have compassion for each other and rich and poor to see each other as equally valuable. It sounds like not only are you making a statement to the community, but but almost to the world around us that seems to not be unified at all. Have you seen that in your community? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That's probably one of my favorite uh, portions and topic of of the book. Um yeah, there's, I mean, my goodness, I mean, <laughs> the list goes on of what divides us as a, as a nation, um, Republican, Democrat, like back to a level we've never seen before. Even in church, people coming back to church, should I wear a mask, not wear a mask? The mask wearers are upset at the non-mask wearers, you know, and, and I know that sounds silly, but uh, ask, ask 10 pastors at random how many emails they've received of people upset that someone didn't wear a mask or they were wearing a mask. Um, you're talking about, you know, uh, equality acts that are happening, the things on sexuality that are, everybody's got different opinions and different thoughts. And, and, uh, but I tell you something, there is something passionate when we just say, okay, Jesus first, <laughs> even above the American flag, Jesus first and his serving him first, working together in, in his work first. There is a unity that can come in serving the community, even if you don't go to church, which we have had that. We have people that are part of our Serve Saturdays or our Love, the, uh, Love Where You Live week that don't even go to our church. They just hear what we're doing, and they want to be a part of it. Some of them don't even believe in God. But here we are shoulder to shoulder with someone that's op- on the opposite side politically, on the opposite side on, on sexuality issues, on the opposite side of whatever issue you want to talk about. And yet it's like there's a common unity that comes when we say, okay, we're going to do something to serve this community and, to, and move forward. One thing I love to say all the time is you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own Bible. So we have all these different views. And even in church, people sitting right next to you in church have different views and opinions about things very much, uh, especially I'm in California. <laughs> we're the land of many views. And, uh, However, there is, a, there is a unity that comes when it's like, okay, but can we put all that aside? Can we, can, we, can we put aside topics and focus on cause? And when you do that, unity starts to happen. You mention in your chapter, love is a verb, that God doesn't try to love. He is love, his very nature to love, and not just to love those who are lovely, 
Or who can repay him? He loves even the unlovely and those who have nothing to give back. Our love for people is often conditional, but God's love is counter-conditional, in spite of our condition of being undeserving. That's why it's called grace, undeserved favor, love, kindness, and rescue. We can choose to love or to withhold love, but love is at the heart of who God is. He always loves, and I just love that aspect of of this in your ministry. And, and Chris, because we're, we're kind of running out of time here as I'm watching the clock, okay. I knew this was going to happen. One of the things I want to head back to is talk about, again, this idea of starting small. You've got a chapter called Make It Happen, where you talk about just working with local nonprofits and local schools and local governments and local events and just talk about, again, maybe somebody's listening and they're thinking, yeah, I mean, that's good for you. you. You just already mentioned you've got multiple campuses. You've got all kinds of resources and people. I'm thinking of my church, for example. You know, before COVID, we had about 60 on a Sunday with people social distancing and staying at home and watching online. We've got about 30 that show up on a Sunday now. So how can a church like that get going? How, how can they start small? What uh, we encourage that church and maybe somebody who's listening, it just feels overwhelming to me. How can I really do this? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And if I could drop a, a website in that would help them. Please. Uh, if, if they're sitting there listening, it's lovewhereyoulive.church. Lovewhereyoulive.church. If you go to that website, you can actually download uh, just a list of things that you can do that maybe some of them are for a bigger church and it's kind of a bigger cause and takes a lot more manpower or whatever. But there are many, 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 many ideas in there that can be taken on by a church of 20 or a church of 100 or a church of whatever. Uh, they, they can take on those things. And so if they go to lovewhereyoulive.church, you can order the book there too at a discount. Uh, but you can also, um, it's, it's a link that goes directly to the publisher, but you can get some great ideas. But here's, again, here's the thing that I would say is, Find some small projects. Again, it might again it might be a teacher's lounge. I, I tell you one. I'll give you just quick quick things. Uh, we've done a teacher's lounge. Um, we've done first responders lounges. We we went to a, a, a um, what do you, a, a facility that was for uh, children that were handicapped to some level. Most of them mentally handicapped or they had some sort of challenges. We, we built a garden for them on a Saturday so they, they could learn how to garden and their teachers could teach them how to garden. So we built that garden for them. Uh, we replanted some of the plants at a, at a public uh, elementary school. Uh, we found uh, that one area, they, they didn't have enough money, a lot of the kids, to do prom dresses. There were a lot of foster kids in the area. So we got 185 prom dresses uh, uh, given to us, and we gave them out on a Saturday morning to 185 different girls. That was an extremely emotional day uh, with foster parents and grandparents. Um, it, it, it doesn't have to be big. It can be helping just go and clean up at a park. Uh, it, there's just so many things, and I, we list in there. I'll give you an example. Last in 2019, right before COVID, we one of one camp or one of one of our campuses alone did over 100 projects, different projects. So, uh, in the Love Where You Live Church, there are a ton of projects that people can do, big or small church, and even can do by themselves. I would recommend any group, 20 people, 50 people, whatever, grab a Saturday, a month or two out. 
talk to a mayor, talk to a superintendent of schools and say, is there something we can do for you? It just might be right now we have some teachers going back to school. So, you know what we're doing? We're taking the, we're grabbed some of our volunteers, not a lot, maybe 10 or 15 and just said, how can we utilize, utilize our volunteers? So over on a Saturday when the teachers are in there cleaning up the room, getting ready for school to start on Monday, we're in there cleaning up the room, stapling stuff on the walls, you know, for the little kids. And we're just doing things to come alongside the community and help them. And anybody can do it, any size church. Chris Songson is the author of the book, Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love. Chris, at this time of the program, we've got just about a minute and a half left. And I, I tell people, this this is your elevator speech. I, I can always envision people just tuning in. They did not hear the beginning of the program. What are you talking about is the question on their mind. So give your elevator speech. How does your church become an indispensable church? Oh, absolutely. Elevator speech. Wrote a book called Indispensable Church. It's based on the idea that if your church was to disappear, would anybody even notice? You want to create the kind of church, whether you're a church of 30 or a church of 3,000, the kind of church that the city, the mayor, the schools, the police, the fire, the first responders, they would know you were gone if you guys, if the church just shut down because you became indispensable, meaning that you became the, the type of church that that city can't live without. The one thing I always say is my dream is that some atheist is sitting on the in his car at the corner of your church. He looks over at your church and while he's waiting for the green light and he says, I don't believe what they believe. I don't I don't know if I'll ever go to church or even ever believe in God, but I shudder the thought if they disappear. Man, if they're gone, our city is in trouble. That's the kind of church we can be, and really that's the kind of individuals we can be inside of a church. An indispensable church, an indispensable person is someone who fills in the gap so that if they were to be gone, the city would notice. Uh, Great uh, elevator speech there, Chris. So tell again listeners where they can get a copy of this book. Again, it's called Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love. How do you get the book? Yeah, Yeah, you can grab lots of ideas and the book at lovewhereyoulive.com. Dot church love where you live dot church you can get a 30 percent discount directly through the publisher there and again if you go to that website you can also find a ton of ideas on how to uh to get this started in your own life in your own small group or church chris Songson, thank you for being a part of life in colorado if you have questions or comments about today's program please call 303-750-5687 or email us at life in colorado at salemdenver.com Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.